you haven't gotten a copy of the story yet, you can pick one up at the Connect Corner in the back. Um, if you're online, you can go to Amazon, you can buy it uh, online, uh, or you can stop by the church and pick one up. They're, they're 10 bucks. If you can't afford that, we'll give it to you because we want you to read and consume this book. One for every adult, one for every teen. And we're going through a chapter a week for 31 weeks. It's a long time. It's a long time to be un- focused on one thing, but I can't imagine what one more, what one thing we shouldn't be focused on more than God's word, consuming God's word, understanding God's word. And what I like to do is figure out how the story, it goes from beginning all the way to end. Some of the stories you're going to find uh, are way more interesting, way more connecting, way more impacting. But every one of the stories is a connecting point to the story before it and the story after it. And so we're studying this. We're in chapter five today, chapter five. So if you've got a book, open up to chapter five. We're going to be taking a look at a few things in there. And I, instead of telling you just the chapter and verses for the verses that I'm going through, I'm going to give you the page number in this book so that you can actually underline and highlight and you remember where we were at and how we went through it. Here's the threefold challenge. Number one, uh, you need to come to church. Shazam. You, you passed that test. Congratulations. Number two, we're asking you to read one chapter of the story. And you know what? We're courageously doing this. We're not asking you to come to church to hear the message about the chapter and then read the chapter. No. We're telling you read the chapter before you come to church and then I'm going to teach on a particular portion of that chapter. And you now have the, the, the awesome opportunity to hold me accountable to what I'm teaching. Because you, but, but that's not what it said, Troy. Correct me. Because you need to study to show yourself approved. But what I'm doing is I'm leaning into this thing and saying, God, what is it you want the church to hear from this particular chapter, letting God's word lead us rather than letting culture lead us? And it's a powerful thing how God assembles it all together and he gives us what we need right when we need it. So we want you to read a chapter of this a week. And the third thing is we want you to come to the group. Pastor Trin just talked about it. At the Lathrop campus, we have a group at six o'clock on Monday evenings for one hour. So come show up. If you want to bring some dinner, come a little early, sit around the tables, enjoy your dinner. Uh, we don't serve dinner here, but bring, bring your dinner, hang out with some folks if, if that would make your family a little bit more convenient. But come to the one hour gathering if you can. It's just a, a way of unpacking what we learn from the story. Because in 20, 25 minutes of me teaching you on a Sunday, I can't possibly give you everything that's in that chapter. It's good to talk about it. So we've been studying through the Old Testament. So we're Genesis we've gone through and now we're into the book of Exodus quite a bit and and we're learning a great deal even though it happened thousands of years ago. It's still very relevant and applicable to us. It has incredible application to our lives today. And last week, Michael, our youth director, uh, helped us understand a little bit of the beginning of the life of a guy by the name of Moses. And Moses, um, because of his mom, who was very creative, and because of the providence of Almighty God, God protected Moses, as we read, at a very young age. And so he grew up in Pharaoh's palace, but then later on he discovered, I'm an Israelite. He understood who he was, and he sees an Israelite being mistreated by, by an Egyptian, so he does what you do when you see somebody being mistreated. He kills the Egyptian. I mean, that just sounds like something we do, right? So that's, that's probably not what we should do. And what we're going to discover in the life of Moses um, is he's um, triggered very easily, right? He's a man that gets kind of angry, and he has these kind of fits of rage. By the way, that's going to be kind of his, his demise as his life goes on. We're going to see this kind of unfold with him. But, he, but he, kills, he kills the guy. And so he goes now into the wilderness for 40 years. 
in this kind of obscurity season in his life. And during these 40 years, he has a conversation with God. And God meets him. He says, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. And he shows up to him in the form of a burning bush uh, that isn't consumed by the fire. It's quite a miracle. And God begins to speak to Moses. And Moses is listening to God. And God says, I want you to be the guy. You're the dude with the food. You're the man that now has the plan. And I want you to lead my children out of the bondage of captivity and slavery to Egypt. And Moses is like, no, I'm not the guy. You got the wrong guy. And God is like, no, I've got the right guy. And so they banter back and forth. And finally, Moses says, okay, God, whatever you want. And Moses then leads the children of Israel um, uh, as they observe and watch how Pharaoh and Egypt go through a series of plagues, the 10 plagues. Finally, after the 10th plague, you learned last week as you read it and as Michael taught about it, um, Pharaoh said, go, get out of here, all of you. There's just too many plagues. So they leave, millions of them. They leave. And they're on their way away from captivity in Egypt. This was God's plan. And Pharaoh changes his mind. So Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh is chasing after horses and chariots and spears, and it's quite dramatic, and they're coming, and there's no way to get out. They're backed up against the Red Sea, mountain on either side. There's nowhere to go. And, and, and Moses raises up the staff, and God parts the Red Sea, and it's quite a moment, and they walk across on dry ground, and, and then the chariots and the horses come in. You know the story, and just oh, God releases the water, and they all drown, and they all die, and it's one of those epic stories in the Bible. It's pretty awesome. God saves them. That was last week. Now, three months have passed by just so you know the timeline. So put yourself in that position. Three months have passed by. It's about 90 days later. And this is where the story continues. And we're in the book of Exodus, and we're going to be reading from Exodus chapter 19. It's on page 59, 59 in your story. If you'll turn there, please, uh, page 59. And I'm going to read just a little bit before. So if, as you're running the media machine, hold on a second, because I'm going to back it up just a little bit, and then I'll, you'll, you'll see where I'm going to go. Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain. This is the middle of the par- middle paragraph of the mountain, and said, this is what you're to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you're to tell the people of Israel. Now, here's where it's going to be on the screen. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you're supposed to speak to the Israelites. So this is what Moses is supposed to speak uh, to, to this new nation, the Israelites. In essence, what God is saying is, is I want to advance my plan to get you back. What I want to do is I want to give you some guidelines to live by. And I want, I want to come down and dwell with you again. Now, if you don't get anything else, I want you to get this. I'll talk a little bit more about it toward the end of the message, but really grasp onto this. Chapter five, where we're at in the story, chapter five is a pivot point. It hasn't been since the book of Genesis, way back in the beginning when God created it, some 1,500 years earlier. It hasn't been since then that God has been able to be with his people. Remember, all he wanted in the garden was to be with us in relationship. Walk and talk with us in the garden. But we blew it because we, we sinned, brought sin into the world. And now God is beginning to share with his people for the first time that I'm, I've got a plan. I want to be with you again. And, and this is the story. 
But, God says, in order for me to do this, there's some things that gotta be worked out. You gotta have some skin in the game. You gotta make some commitments. And so he invites Moses up to this mountain called Mount Sinai. And he goes up and he takes his, his um, sidekick, he takes his apprentice, uh, Aaron, up with him. And while Moses and Aaron are at the top of Mount Sinai, God speaks to them. God verbalizes the Ten Commandments, along with some other uh, rules for living, some guidelines of importance. But God speaks to them. So what happens next? Moses and Aaron come down the mountain, and as they're standing toward the base of the mountain, all of the Israelites, millions, have gathered together, waiting with bated breath. What has God spoken to you? Never underestimate the presence of God. When you feel the presence of God when you worship, when you pray, when you talk to God, in, the, in your car, in your living room, in your bedroom, at church, when you feel and experience the presence of God, that was unavailable to them. But it's available to you. And so they wanted to know what did God say. And Moses comes down the mountain and says, this is what God said. And he shares with them the Ten Commandments and some other rules for living. And the people are like, wow. And their response, bottom page 61, top page 62 is, is we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. There's high fives, chest bumps. I mean, there's all kinds of celebrate and go on. We will obey. We'll do everything you say, God. And I believe that if each one of the children of Israel were hooked up to a lie detector test, they would have all passed, that they sincerely meant what they said. You ever meant, God, I'll do exactly what you want me to do, and then you didn't do it. But you meant it in the moment. That's, that's kind of where they're at. So you can understand what's going on here. They're bought in. They've made a commitment to God. So what's about to take place is the drama of the story, as if there wasn't enough already, but the drama of the story. And God is now going to write these covenants down. It's kind of like a receipt. It's kind of like, okay, we, we verbalize the same, but let's, let's get it in writing now so we're all on the same page. So Moses is going to go back up and he's going to receive the Ten Commandments. And the rest of the chapter really can be divided into two parts. Number one, God is giving us a standard for the people to follow. Um, I could say rules. Nobody likes rules. But rules are like boundaries. Boundaries are like a fence. A fence is put up to keep us safe, to, to keep uh, the good in and the bad out. Um, that's what these rules are for, this standard is for. You see, God has up to this point, I really hope you can kind of begin to put all the, 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 the nuggets together. God has kept his promise. There was sin back in the garden. And, and God then devised a plan of how he's going to get his children back into relationship with him. And his plan, it's his plan, his plan was to create a nation. So he creates a nation, the nation of Israel. They then go 
into captivity for hundreds of years, and they're caught in this captivity um, in Egypt. Now they've been released from the captivity of Egypt. It's a big, huge miracle that we'll see cited over and over and over again throughout the entire rest of the Bible. So now they're out of captivity, and God has kept his promise to them, and they're standing at the base of this, this mountain, and God has said, you are my nation. Here's the, the rules for living, the standard for you to follow. He's like, I kept my promise. Now I want you to keep a promise, not a promise. I want you to keep 10 promises to me. And from the top of Mount Sinai, God, who is a, I think he's a proud father. I think he looks out on this nation. And, and it's, it's, it's like he's saying, I'm so proud of you and I want the best for my kids And so God is going to give Moses a couple of stone tablets. And with his own finger, we believe, he's going to write these commandments out for us on stone tablets. So Moses ascends the mountain again. Because remember, last time God just verbalized these commandments, now God's going to give them written down on stone tablets. It's kind of a big deal. So Moses, this is really dramatic, Moses ascends the mountain and leaves his sidekick Aaron behind, Aaron stay here, watch over the people, I'm going up the mountain. So he climbs up the mountain and, and it's this, this powerful scene where God is found in the middle of, he's hidden in this dense cloud that you can see toward the top of the mountain. It's a picture of divinity and a picture of serenity all at the same time. It's, it's quite, quite amazing. This, this man, Moses is going to be in the presence of God. And, and this time, God is going to write for Moses the Ten Commandments. What, what a moment that must have been. I have here the Ten Commandments. And according to Facebook Marketplace, these are the real ones. So I'm just going to throw that out there, okay? So I have the Ten Commandments here for you, so be very careful. Uh, so I, I've got, the, anyway, so he goes up and he, he sees God right with his finger on these stone pieces, the, the Ten Commandments, the standard for living. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, right, the, the natives have gone restless, Right? And, and that's what we read. You read it this week as well. Um, there, th- there's been time that's passed. You, you ever had to wait on God? <sighs> sure you have. Um, they knew that Moses was going up to get these commandments, to hear from God. They just didn't know when he was coming back. And so one week turns into two weeks, and two weeks turns into... Th- you ever had a marriage problem? And you're like... If I just knew this was going to last three hours or three days or three weeks, three months, or even three years, if I knew the end point, it would make it so much easier to survive and to get through, to do my part, to get better, whatever it takes. The problem is we don't know. These Israelites did not know the end either. Where's Moses? Is he, is he still alive? Is he coming back? Because 40 days are going to go by. That's a long time. 40 days are going to go by before Moses comes down. And the Israelites, they're beginning, well, they're beginning to doubt God's plan. And so the Israelites say to Aaron, uh, on top of page 64, if you will, the Israelites say to Aaron, this is Exodus 32.1, they say, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron... Now, don't forget that name, Aaron, and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. 
as for this fellow, Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't even know what happened to him. <laughs> In other words, give us some kind of image that we can worship. <gasps> this is not going to go well. And so Aaron did. Aaron, the brother of Moses, and Aaron answered them, are you kidding me? I have walked with God and seen all the miracles that God has done and how he provided the 10 plagues and freed us from the captivity of Egypt. Is that what it says? Not at all. Not at all. Aaron answered them, well, take off your gold earrings that your wives and your sons and your daughters are wearing. By the way, somebody said, where'd they get all the gold? Remember when the Egyptians told them, get out? They're like, take my gold, go. My firstborn's dead, get out of here. Go, go, go. So they got all this gold stuff with them. Now, so this wasn't tiny little, little like, calf. This is giant. That they, this is a huge, huge thing. Take off the gold earrings. So the people took off their earrings and they brought them to Aaron and he took what they handed him and he made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. And then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up, who brought you up out of, out of Egypt. How does something like that take place? How does something like that happen? I mean, you gotta think about it. It's unbelievable. And what gets me is this blasphemous plan is the brainchild of Aaron. Aaron is the guy who climbed up the mountain not but 40 days ago with Moses and God speaks the Ten Commandments to them. And he hears it and he feels it. He's got the Holy Ghost goosebumps all over. Oh, I, can't, I can't believe him. Aaron is the guy who was with Moses during every single, he's every single plague. The water turns to blood, the frogs come in, the gnats come in. I mean, the, 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 the death angel comes. Aaron was a part of, he saw it all. All the miracles. And yet, in the midst of seeing all the plagues and all the miracles, he's the last person, in my opinion, who should have caved, who should have given in to such a blatant sin. And yet, I appreciate this being in the Bible. Because what it does is it shows me my own frailty. And the people, the very people, make for us a God's. Give us something we can, they, did they not just a few minutes ago, weren't they ones that said, we'll do everything the Lord has said. We will obey, bam, high five, there you go baby, right? We will obey, we'll do it all. 40 days ago, dear Lord, it hasn't even been two months. And they're creating graven images. By the way, every single sin on the planet can be traced back to one sin. And that one sin is the sin of idolatry. There is no sin you can commit that cannot be traced back to the root of idolatry. Putting something, pleasure, uh, success, greed, whatever, before God. And the first commandment is thou shall have no other gods before me. And this, this they're, break, they're breaking this. Hmm. Now Moses, oh Moses, He's coming down from the mountain from which he's got from God his handwritten Ten Commandments. And he's coming down the mountain. He gets about halfway down, and he's hearing, right? He's hearing the party going. People are having a lot of fun. And he's like, what's that music? What's that calf? And he sees people bowing down before this graven image, and Moses gets triggered once again. This time he takes those stone tablets and he, I'm not going to do it because Marketplace said that these are real, so I'm going to go with that, okay? So, so he throws them down on the ground and they shatter. It's a display of his, 
of his incredible anger and frustration with, with, with the people. He's disappointed with them. But you, you got to hear this. You just got to hear this. Aaron, remember Aaron? Yeah, the guy I just told you, been been with Moses, seen all the miracles. Bottom page 65, check that out. Last couple of words there, top page 66. This is Aaron's lame excuse when Moses confronts him. He says, so, so I, I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it out. You can kind of hear the quiver in his voice as he's talking to Moses, like his big brother. Like I, uh, So I told him, whoever has any gold, take it off. And they gave me the gold, and I, I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. <laughs> Sounds like a six-year-old trying to get out of trouble from mom, mama and daddy, kind of floating something past their parents. I threw the gold, and out comes a calf. What am I supposed to do with it? It came out like that. It didn't come out like that, you little munchkin, right? Here's what I want you to know. The sad irony of this story is while Moses was at the top of this mountain, being with God in his presence and what God is writing the Ten Commandments on these stone tablets that he's already told the people. They already knew. It's not like they didn't know. He already verbalized it to them through Moses and they're like, yeah, we'll do this. Whatever you say, we'll do. And while God's up there doing that, they're down the mountain breaking the first two commandments at the same time. First two commandments, you'll have no other gods before me and you won't worship or make any graven images. They, they broke two of them. While God was writing them down, the Israelites were at the bottom of the hill breaking them. So what happens in the story? Well, there's consequences. How many know there's consequences for sin, yes? And, and so Moses comes down, told you he's triggered. So you know what he does? Is he's like, take the calf and melt that sucker down. So they melted it down to where it's just all like liquid and powdery and you know, in the desert, there's not a lot of water to drink. So he's like, pour it in the well. Who poisoned the water hole? Anyway, pour it, pour it in the well. So he, they pour it in the, in, the, in the well, and he's like, drink it, every one of you, drink it. And it's kind of like the Old Testament way of your mama washing your mouth out with soap after you've done something wrong to try to correct your behavior, right? And so that's, so drink it. So he has them consume this graven image. And then Moses, number two, says, who's with me? He's upset. These, these hundreds of thousands of Israelites are divided into 12 camps, okay? Like 12 groups, 12 um, sub-communities, 12 neighborhoods, let's say. And one of the neighborhoods is, is called the Levites. The Levites all come stand with Moses because he's like, who's with me? Come stand with me. Well, they come stand with Moses. As the story goes, many of the others are still like, they're still partying. They're still sinning, right? And... Um, so one of the consequences, you can read this, it's pretty powerful, pretty dramatic. It's 3,000 people get executed that night. 3,000 people die that night. And we look at this and we go, well, that's not applicable to us. We don't kill people for sin. Well, sin still kills. Sin will kill you. Sin will eat you away like a toxin, like poison. It might not kill you today, but it'll kill you. And the Bible says, be sure. Your sins will find you out. It'll kill you. Now Moses, poor guy, now he's got to go back up the mountain again for a third time, right? So it's only been like 40 days, and he's already come up the mountain, come down the mountain, he's gone up the mountain, come down the mountain, right? You do the, uh, drink the water, right? Now he's got to go back up the mountain again. 
Why has he got to go back on the mountain? Because he's really hoping that God made a carbon copy, right? <laughs> that God made some sort of a copy because he's got to get a copy of the Ten Commandments that he already had broken. And sure enough, he goes back up the mountain, has a conversation with God. God writes the Ten Commandments again the second time uh, on the stone, which is no big effort for God, but God gives it to them. And um, the, the, the Ten Commandments, misunderstood. It's really just two categories of commandments. The first four, they're about our relationship with God. And the last six are about our relationship with one another, with each other. God is a God of relationship. He, he wants to be in relationship with you, and he wants you to be in proper relationship with other people. Really, these are no more than um, uh, like wedding vows. Ah, oh, yeah, that's good. Like a wedding ceremony. When you say your vows to your spouse or your one-day spouse, you, you say your covenant to them, and then they say their covenant to you. God, God made a covenant. He's like, I will make you into a great nation. I will be with you. You will be my people, and I will be your God. I will go before you. That was God's vow. And now God's expecting a return vow. And there's only really one word that he's asking for, and that is faithfulness. Be faithful unto me in every way. And God defines what faithfulness is in a lot of the Old Testament that we'll talk about in the weeks to come, but he wants them to be, to be faithful. He wants them to be faithful to him. So let me ask you a question. Why did God give us the law? Thou shalt know the gods before me. Thou shalt not have and make any graven images, not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against our neighbor. Thou shalt not covet the neighbor's house or anything that he has of his neighbors. Why did God give us the Ten Commandments? I'm glad you asked. Why did God give us the law? I'm glad you asked. God gave us the Ten Commandments to show that we could not keep them. Oh, it was a divine setup is what it was. You can't keep them. In fact, you haven't kept one of them. None of us have. You're like, well, how dare you? How dare you? I've not killed anybody, Jesus said, as he rose the standard on the commandments. He's like, if you've, if you've been angry at somebody, oh, you've killed them in your heart. I've not committed adultery. Well, yeah, 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 you have. Because if you've looked at anybody in a lustful way, even for a fleeting moment, and not acted on it, you still committed adultery in your heart. I'm telling you, everybody's committed these, I haven't stolen anything. Yes, you have. You, by the way, you just lied too. So it's part of it, all right? So it's, yeah, you, we've, commit, we've committed those sins. He gave us the Ten Commandments to show us that we couldn't keep it. Think about it as a window. It doesn't matter if the window has one hole in it or if it has nine holes in it. You still got to replace the window. So if you, in fact, the New Testament tells us about the law, about the Ten Commandments. James tells us in James 2.10, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. It feels impossible. Shazam. It is. It's utterly impossible. And here's how the Bible repeats itself. For the first two books, Genesis and Exodus, it's repeated itself, and it will continue to repeat itself all throughout the Bible. Up to you and me. Here's how it goes. Um, that's a recurring theme throughout the Bible. Mankind will try to do what's right. They'll say they love God more than anything else. But when push comes to shove, they'll cave. <laughs> they will fold. They will sin. And then they'll beg God for forgiveness. God will have mercy. God will redeem, put him back into right relationship, and the cycle goes all over again. And it still happens 
today. Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God by eating the fruit. Noah, Noah, dude, come on, man. You like were saved on the boat. Like talk about the love boat. You really were saved on the boat, right? And then disembark, you get off the boat and then there's indecent exposure that takes place, which is really rated R stuff. You can read about it. It should have never happened. Sin right away. Moses, Moses, Moses. It's triggered, angry. <laughs> Some of y'all can relate to Moses and you're gonna hear a little bit more about him in the coming weeks. And the point Uh, At this point in the story, God is laying a foundation. Remember, Moses is the leader of literally millions of people. And God God is laying this foundation. And what he's saying is he's saying, it doesn't matter how many people you lead. It doesn't matter what position you have. It doesn't matter what perceived influence you have in your life. It doesn't matter how high you've ascended, how low you are. Everybody needs a savior. Everybody needs God. You're, you're failing. We're, we're, falling, we're falling behind. We, 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 can't, we can't keep the pace of what God requires of us. We're going to disappoint God. We're just not going to measure up. In the flesh, it is impossible. So God continues to build a case for our need for a savior. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. Come on, church. We need Jesus. Which why I'm not a bad person. Oh, well, let's talk about that. Well, wait a minute. When you compare me to my nut job family, right, um, you're going to realize that um, I kind of outshine everybody else. I got all kinds of Uncle Eddie's in my family, right? Or compare me to the people in my workplace. Dear Lord, you know the person in the cubicle next to me that works down, down the line from me, works in the office down the hall. Listen, listen, compared to my coworkers, I'm a saint. Well, here's the truth. When you stand before God, you will not be compared to your mama, your daddy. You will not be compared to your cousin. You won't be compared to your coworker. You will be compared to Jesus Christ. That's who you'll be compared to. And compared to Jesus Christ, we deserve hell. There is no other option for us. We have fallen short. We need a savior. But I said there are two parts to this chapter. The first part was a standard for people to follow. But the second part, now here's the home run. While Moses was on that mountain, God announced some big news. Huge, huge, gigantic news. Extra, extra, read all about it. The news that God shared with him is, I want to be with my people. He wants to camp with them. And so the second part to chapter five God, God has to have a place, a place for God to dwell. I need a place to dwell. Well, you're like, come on, you're God. You don't need a place to dwell. Well, all of this is teaching us something. I'm going to connect some dots for you. Now, don't get confused. In the Old Testament, there were two places that God dwelled. One of those places was called the tabernacle. That's what we're talking about now. Think of it as a tent, portable right? Because the Israelites were constantly on the move. They'd set it up, they'd take it down, carry it away, they'd set it up, so forth. And then hundreds of years later, David's son Solomon is going to build um, what God gave the vision to David to build the temple, which is a permanent structure, okay? So there's the tabernacle, portable, and there's uh, the, 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 the temple, which is, which is permanent. And so inside this tent, this tabernacle is going to be a place called the Ark of the Covenant. 
You've heard about it if you watch Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? So uh, the Ark of the Covenant, it's basically the size of this table. It's, it's four feet by two and a half feet. It's gold laden. It's got all these kind of ornate decorative things that God gave specifics for in the way they made the box. But inside the box, well, are the, the Ten, I'd be surprised if they're in there because I have them in my possession. I'm just kidding. The, the Ten Commandments are inside the box, along with some other things that, that uh, are the, the history. Um, and and pout like Aaron's rod is in there. There's, there's things in the box. But in that box that was inside the tent, the tabernacle, was the presence of God. And that might seem a little weird to you and I because God's presence is everywhere. It wasn't. God's presence wasn't available to humanity yet, not before Jesus, and and God's presence. So God is saying to the, listen, he's saying, I want to be with you. I want to be in the center of your camp. Make me a place. So, so they, uh, now they didn't have direct access to God, but they knew he was right there, right there in the midst. And his presence, his presence was with them. So here's what we need to realize. Moses Moses begs God on behalf of the Israelites, and the Israelites beg Moses to ask God because they always have to go through a mediator. You don't have to go through a mediator anymore. You don't need a priest. You don't need a Moses. You have direct access to God. Somebody say amen, yes? Amen. And, and, and Moses goes before God and begs for forgiveness on behalf of them. In fact, I love what he does. You know, when, if you're gonna beg for forgiveness on behalf of somebody, you should definitely call them names. So it's page 69. Let's take a look at that real quick. Um, page, let's start at page 68, the, the, about three quarters of the way down. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped Lord. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. See, he's requesting the presence of God. Although this is a stiff-necked people. (laughs) I love that. I really wonder how that really translates, right? Um, Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and let us, and, and, and take us as your inheritance. Then the Lord said, I'm making a covenant, not a contract. I'm making a covenant with you. Before all your people, I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Do not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a a jealous God. Moses says, let the Lord go with us. He's inviting the presence of God into the camp. Guys, Isn't that exactly what God wanted from the very beginning is just to be with us? Wow. And you might be sitting there thinking or at home watching or listening on podcasts later. And you might be, what does this have to do with me today? You understand the stress and struggle that I'm under, Troy? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because God has a great plan for your life. And in the big scheme of things, Every single page of his word, every single page of this book is God's passionate desire. It communicates God's passionate desire to have you redeemed, to have you in right relationship with God. God wants, still wants, to be with you. And he's saying, just like he did to the children of Israel, I want to dwell with you. I, I want to do life with you every single day. 
That's why God sent his one and only son, Jesus, as a defenseless baby to grow and ultimately to become our sacrificial lamb. And for those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ into our lives and we choose to become a follower, not a fan, but a follower of of Jesus, the Bible says that his spirit comes. And get this, it dwells not, not, not in a box, not in a tabernacle, It dwells inside of you, deep inside of us. God wants to be with you. He wants to take up residency inside of you. And we don't understand the value of that unless we know the beginning of the story, how desperate they would have been. It was out of their vernacular, out of their realm of understanding to even think about God having a personal relationship with me. But now God being a total gentleman doesn't barge his way in. He waits for us to invite him in. But remember, we just read it. God is a jealous God, isn't he? And and he wants everybody to come to repentance. And we mess, oh, do we mess up all the time. But because of Jesus, we have forgiveness. Hallelujah. We have grace. And therein lies, lies our hope. Jesus. Jesus redeem, rebuilds, he redeems, and he restores. Would you pray with me today? Father God, thank you for your word. I know that it will never return void. Thank you that the story is directing us to Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you're reminding us that without you, we are totally and utterly lost. We need you. We need a Savior.